Episode 2 of the Water Break Podcast, brought to you by Probiotic Solutions. Here's your host, Heather Jennings. Welcome to Water Break, where we try to bridge the gap between water operators and engineers. This episode, we're going to discuss the Enhanced Biological Phosphorus Removal, or EBPR, with a guest today. Our guest is Tony Glimp Martin. You might have heard of her book, so Wastewater Microbiology Laboratory Manual for Operators. You might even own it. Uh, there's also Wastewater Microbiology Handbook for Operators. So Tony is a wastewater microbiologist and certified operator, and I'm very excited to have an opportunity to talk with you about EBPR. More and more operators are looking at using EBPR to help them meet phosphorus limits because they're becoming more and more restricted as times go by. You'll also want to join us for Wanda's Water Tidbit at the end of our program where we share fun and quirky trivia for information on water. Thank you, Tony, for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. First, before we start anything else, I love the quote that I found on your webpage. It says, if you treat the bugs right, they will treat your water right. What do you mean by that? Well, that, that's my pet peeve. It's actually the microorganisms that are the VIPs of the wastewater treatment process. It's a microbiological zoo. For a, a lot of times, we think of wastewater treatment plants as a bunch of tanks or a bunch of uh, clarifiers and different components, but it's actually microorganisms that's doing the work of removing the waste in the uh, wastewater. So if we want our wastewater treatment process to operate properly, then we have to pay attention to the microorganisms that's doing the work. So if you want them to treat the water right, then we have to make sure. I, I absolutely agree. And in my mind, it's like you're taking care of the building, but not the people inside the building. Right. right. It's never going to work. <laughs> it's never going to work. So we got to pay attention yeah. to them. That's right. Let's talk a little bit about phosphorus. How, how are we getting phosphorus into our, our water and wastewater? During the 80s and 90s, they talked about taking it out of detergents, but why is it still there? The biggest source of phosphorus in the wastewater is human waste, and that's one thing we can't get rid of. So about 27% of the phosphorus that comes into our wastewater treatment system comes in through our waste. And then there's about 25% that comes in through it with industry, different industry treatment products. It comes in and then of course, there's the small amount that still comes in uh, with detergents. We've had a lot of uh, changes in the composition of different types of detergents that removed a lot of phosphorus, so that was a reduction. But there's still phosphorus in food waste. There's phosphorus that rinses into the uh, wastewater through stormwater. So it's still still getting in there. But why is this a big deal? I mean, well, if it's everywhere, why do we care? Well, well, first of all, it's essential to plant life which is a good for plants. But when there's too much of that phosphorus going into our waterways, it can cause problems. We call problems then with the term called eutrophication. Eutrophication is an overgrowth of aquatic plants in the waterways. And what, what happens is there's a depletion of oxygen. You can get fish gills. You can get an overgrowth of algae. So we have to control how much phosphorus is getting into our waterways. And that's happened a lot in the Great Lakes areas. And yeah. I mean, just even the small lake areas, they're, they're seeing that as well. Yeah, and you really want to be careful, especially with the algal brooms, because uh, in the late fall, you can really have some uh, different species of algae that can uh, produce toxins. And so we're seeing an increase in different types of algae that has the ability to produce toxins. And so um, that can be detrimental to a uh, your animals that you let swim in the water or people getting in the water or even cattle or farm animals that drink the water. And we're seeing an increase in those animals and people getting sick from the toxins. 
how would you describe EBPR in your own words? What would you describe it as? EBPR is enhanced biological phosphorus removal. And we call it enhanced because we're, we're actually breeding a group of microorganisms that have this ability to remove large amounts of phosphorus, abnormally large amounts of phosphorus from the wastewater. So that's what, why we call it enhanced biological phosphorus removal. And what kind of bacteria are, are doing this? We like to call them PAOs, and PAOs are phosphorus accumulating microorganisms. And this is really a, a removing phosphorus from water is, a, is an ability that's very common in microorganisms. But PAOs are very unique. They have a, a, the ability to, to take the, the organic compounds that come into our wastewater and without ac- oxygen, without the presence of nitrate or under anaerobic conditions, they can consume large amount of, of, of phosphorus from the water once they get into the aerobic zone. They eat, we put them on a diet, and then they eat again? Actually, the, the, the EBPR process is sort of two phases. It's, the, it's an anaerobic zone. And what we, what we do is we put them in the anaerobic zone first. And then in the anaerobic zone, they consume organics. They consume volatile fatty acids. They, uh, and then what they do is they uptake what's called PHB. So I know you, there's all these acronyms, but PHB is a storage compound that they use for energy to take up phosphorus. So in the anaerobic zone, they take those storage products. They use the volatile fatty acids that's produced under anaerobic conditions. They, they convert it to PHB. And then once we recycle them into the aerobic zone, they use that PHB for energy to take up the phosphorus. I love how you describe that. And uh, I was talking to an operator one time and about it. And I'm like, look, it's like you've skipped your meals all day long. And then you order the pizza and your goal is only to eat one or two pieces, but you eat the whole darn thing. <laughs> you've kind of been, you know, or you, you've got to eat it. It's just there. And I, I kind of think of the PAOs that way where they, they just overconsume. Yeah, and, but, uh, but, but you, you have to think about in the, in the anaerobic zone, they have to empty themselves out. So they have room when they get into the aerobic zone to take up the extra pizza. So it's like a colonoscopy. Then. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so in the, so in the aero, anaerobic zone, they have a colonoscopy. And if anybody has ever had a colonoscopy and you know how fast that stuff comes out, it's like, it's like a nuclear enema. And so then, and so now they're completely cleaned out. And then when they go into the aerobic zone, then they can take up the extra pizza. The extra pizza. Awesome. Yeah. You know, I'm going to remember nuclear enema when I, Talk to my kids about this, <laughs> but, but it's really, but it's really important because the the amount of PHB that they take up in the anaerobic zone is exactly related to how much phosphorus they're able to take up in the aerobic zone. So if they don't have a good nuclear enema in the anaerobic zone, they're not going to be able to eat all that extra pizza in the aerobic zone. So we got to make sure the conditions in that anaerobic zone for them to have that nuclear enema. Is, is good. I mean, other than not having air in there for anaerobic, what else do they need? They need to have carbon. And we, everybody keeps saying, you know, carbon. Why do we say carbon? Well, carbon is organic compounds. So all organic compounds are carbon-based. And so in order for them to store that PHB that they need for energy, they have to have what's called volatile fatty acids. And those are produced under anaerobic conditions only. And 
the microorganisms that's in the anaerobic zone cannot produce volatile fatty acids without carbon. So your 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 bacteria, your your bacteria in the anaerobic zone take up the carbon, produce the the volatile fatty acids, the BFAs, and then the PAOs use that to store in their body, and then that's how they have that uh, nuclear enema, enema and release the phosphorus. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Science in real life. It all comes together, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> now, I mean, can we, you're talking about the VFAs. Can we just use any VFAs? Because I've seen some systems that have side stream fermenters, and that's what they're trying to get to. But all VFAs aren't created the same, are they? No. No. So they can, all VFAs can be used, but all of them not, are not necessarily readily used by PAOs. And so the ones that are more readily used for PHOs are the acetates and the propionates. Okay. And then, you know, I see a lot of them using size stream waste streams. And I think the only, one of the things that you got to be careful about that is because there's a lot of other stuff that's in there too, maybe other waste products. I've seen some plants use waste products from breweries and, and stuff like that. So you just got to realize that when you, you're bringing other stuff into your plant because you're bringing in their waste product. I have seen some groups that they're using their raw influent right after their primary clarifier mm -hmm. as a carbon source. And I, I'm kind of like, in my mind, that's like you want, you know, little cocktail sized pieces of sandwich. And now you've given them a five foot long sandwich. Right. Because to think about it, the process is if those more complicated organic compounds have to be broken down into simpler compounds. So the more complicated the compound, the more work is taken to break it down into the simpler compounds because it's those simpler compounds that's converted to VFAs. And so you want to keep your compounds as simple as possible, your organic compounds as simple as possible. So when you start bringing in all different types of waste that have a lot more complicated substances, it's like pecans in the shell. So if you give them a bunch of pecans in the shell, then somebody's got to crack open the pecans in the shell and so that they can get the meat. But if you give them all just pecan meat, then they can work more efficiently, produce the VFAs. So that's why you got to be kind of careful about the, the, the type of waste that you use to produce the VFAs. That was a really good an analogy. I think I prefer mm -hmm. the pecan pie without the shells. Shells. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, the bugs, the bugs would too. You know, because they yeah. all, they have to. It has to be. It has to be dissolved before they can. They can take it up. So. Uh, oh, that's right. Because they prefer absorption over adsorption. Yes. How do I even know if my system has them? I, when I looked it up, they just looked like little grapes. You know, little round grapes. How do I even test for them to know if, if my system has them? There's operational things you can do. When you're doing EBPR, you have to look at both the, what's going on in anaerobic zone and the aerobic zone. So if, you, if you're getting that release of phosphorus in your anaerobic zone, then that's a good sign that you got it. So if you're getting that nuclear enema release, then that's a good sign. And then, okay. and, and then if you get uh, phosphorus removal in the aerobic zone, that's a good sign. But there's not a, the, there's not a, there's like DNA tests or stuff like that you can do. But for operators, that's a lot more complicated. There's a simpler, simple staining that you can do. There's a PHB stain that you can use to stain to see if you're actually getting the PHB stored in the body in the anaerobic zone. 
And then there's the Niger stain that actually stains the poly P granules that's stored in the aerobic supplement. So there's, uh, well, actually, I, I kind of, de I developed a, a procedure for enumerating these PAOs. You can kind of monitor them microscopically by just looking for these clusters of PHB in the anaerobic zone and looking for clusters of poly P in the aerobic zone using these stains. You can't see them without the stain, so you, you have to use the stain. Um, but what kind of microscope do I need now that we're talking about looking under a microscope? I mean, do I need like a hundred magnification or a thousand, yeah. or do I need a sexy one that you know, <laughs> <laughs> No, you 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 need to have a microscope that has bright field because you, we're going to be using stains. But you want to make sure you have an oil immersion lens, which is the hundred x objective. Uh, these are little cells, so you want to be able to magnify it at least a thousand times using oil with the oil immersion. Something new for me to share at the dinner table. Yeah. My poor, my poor kids get to learn so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, my kids get to be in my presentations. I, I named the bugs after them, so that's... <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> in the universe, there's always a yin and a yang. So we have the PAOs. Mm -hmm. Who are their competitors? But the competitors are the GAOs. So our PAOs are phosphate-accumulating organisms. The GAOs are glycogen-accumulating organisms. And so let me give you an example of what the GAO is. And so my house is me, my husband, it was me, my husband, and my two kids. So we had enough substrate in our house for us. We were taking up the VFAs that was our food, and then when we go out, we could make, we had energy, we could make money for our house. My in-laws are the jails. Okay, so in-laws, in-laws, in they came to our house and they was eating up our food. Okay, but when they left, they didn't leave to go out to make money. They just stayed in our house and just didn't make money to bring into the household. What jails do is they take up the BFAs in the anaerobic zone. The PAOs take up the BFAs in the anaerobic zone. But when they get over into the aerobic zone, only the PAOs are the ones that's doing the work and the GAOs aren't. And so we don't want the GAOs because they just, all they do is they take up the food from the ones that's actually doing the work, which is what my in-laws were doing. They're taking up the food from us who is actually going out doing some work and making money to bring in more food. So they were just taking up the food. So if it's too many GAOs, then it's not enough food for the PAOs. So if I had too many in-laws, then it would be not enough food for us. And so we couldn't go out and make any money. So you have to create an environment that the GAOs don't like. And you had to create an environment that our in-laws didn't like. So that they would <laughs> want to get, so that they want to get out. <laughs> I'm a little afraid. I'm like, did you put peas in their bed or <laughs> under the sheets? Or, you know, crunch up some cereal in the sheets? Oh, we don't want to sleep here anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little afraid. I think I'll stay in a hotel when I, I visit. Think, I think I'll keep that, I'll keep that secret. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just in case they want to come back. <laughs> oh, my stars. That's awesome. <laughs> Oh, okay. So um, now we know what the GAOs are. And you, you talked about favorites. <laughs> okay, so how do I keep the workers then? How do I keep the PAOs? Okay, so you have to, you, you, you have to create an environment that only the PAOs like. 
Okay, so the only the the, the, the GALs like warm weather. So in the, when it, you'll notice in the summertime, GALs will begin to grow and they'll grow much faster than the PALs. And so we can't really do much about that. But the one thing that we can do is we can do a, the pH. There's the GALs don't like pHs above seven point two five. So if you can change your pH from seven to eight, you'll get rid of your GALs. And give you an example, we had a, a plant that we were doing biologic fossils removal, and it was in the summertime, and the the GALs were just we were monitoring both GALs and PALs, and the GALs just increased significantly. And then all of a sudden, there was this tremendous drop in the GAOs. But what had happened was there was an industrial spill. And this industry had spilled just tons of ammonia. And the ammonia got spilled into into the wastewater treatment plant. And it it increased the the pH up to nine. nine. And then all of a sudden, sudden the, the GAOs just died off. And so, and then the PALs were able, so it, it just got rid of all the in-laws and then the PALs were able <laughs> to just continue to grow. <laughs> and, and by that time it was the end of the summer. And so the GALs didn't really, couldn't really come back, didn't really uh, come back because they don't really like the winter that much. Um, so just a simple increase in pH will knock them out. Another thing that'll knock them out is that they, a lot of times people add supplemental VFAs, um, like they, and they always try to add acetate. Um, GLs like acetate too, but they don't like propionate. So if you, add, oh. you need to supplement, add propionate, and then that'll favor the GLs over the GLs. You know, I'm, I'm just, I just want to tell the listeners we're not suggesting that you change your <laughs> in laws' pH. That's not what we're saying. It was just for, you know, just Watch for what you examples. give them to drink. What you give them to drink. No. <laughs> I'm like, we're only going to advocate Kool-Aid. Well, <laughs> just regular well, Kool-Aid. <laughs> for, for the record, these are my ex-in-laws. Oh, okay. That's good to know. <laughs> That's why I don't feel so bad. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like... Oh man, this is gonna be harsh if you know if your spouse or family members listen to this. They'll be like, "Wow, mom." These are my excellent laughs. Okay, okay. I've favored my PAOs. I've gotten rid of my GAOs. But do these conditions mess up nitrification, denitrification, or the BOD consumption that we're trying to do? I mean, is this something I need to do in a completely different system, or can I do it simultaneously with my other processes? I commend operators now because we've got so many competing regulations. You know, we've got regulations that come down that says, okay, you gotta, you got to remove phosphorus, and, and the bugs need phosphorus. Environment for PAOs is different from the environment for nitrification because you need those microorganisms to remove the, the, the nitrogen. The only thing that competes is your bio-P system, your EBPR system, have to have an anaerobic zone. So you have to have that zone with no oxygen. For your nitrifiers, you have to have oxygen. So you have to be very careful if you're going to try to run them together, is you got to be very careful that when you take your nitrates and you recycle your nitrates back, that you don't interfere with that anaerobic zone. So you got to be careful where you bring your recycle back or your nitrate back because you, you want to try to maintain a P 
pure anaerobic zone as much as possible. And a lot of times when there's a choice, because uh, both nitrifiers and, and your PAOs are sensitive, they're sensitive to changes. Well, your nitrifiers are more, more slow growing, but they're more sensitive to toxics. Your PAOs, they, they don't, they're not slow growing, but they're sensitive to changes in, in, in influence changes. So if you're going to try to run them together, I think the number one thing that you got to try to make sure is that you don't interfere in any way with that anaerobic zone for the, for your, for your, uh, bio peoples, for your PAOs. Uh, and you, cause, okay. you, yeah, cause for your nitrifiers, you got to have that oxygen. And then the, we found in our plant that when it became a choice, when something toxic hit or something, something, uh, happened and we just have to increase the, like we had a, uh, at one time we had the, one of the blowers went out. And so then it was knocked out our nitrifiers. And so we had to just turn on the oxygen and just try to get the nitrifiers back. And it blew out our, our bio-P process. But since we had the limit for the nitrifiers, we had to go that with that and just try to wait till later to try to build up our PAOs again. So sometimes okay, it's going to be a conflict. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, trying to get them back. Yeah. With that conflict, I mean, is it enough for it to be anoxic or does it have to be truly anaerobic? It can be anoxic, but you, you're, you're not going to get the, what you need. You really need to have, a, well, let me take it back. I, it's best if it's only anaerobic. Okay. There, you know, there are some PAOs that work, that work differently under some anoxic conditions, but they, they, they don't grow that fast. And it's, all, it's not as many of them. There's so many different types of PAOs. We only know of a few, but there's so many different types of PAOs. But the ones that work best, the majority of them work best under anaerobic conditions. You can do an anoxic zone in your favor. You'll get a certain type, certain groups, but you don't have that many. Not that many that, that likes an anoxic zone. Okay. You have a better chance if you have an anaerobic zone. So if I'm looking underneath the microscope, how, how are these going to look? compared to each other like you you talked about how to identify the paos but the gaos they're similar grape shape so how am i going to tell the difference between the two well for one thing they're bigger and they're hollow so they look like big hollow they look like fish eggs so they look like okay big, big hollow they look like hollow balls uh, because they don't they don't take up phosphorus it's best to look at them in your aerobic zone with the nizers because oh. they'll they'll be hollow and because they won't take up phosphorus. If you look at them, if you look for them in the, in the anaerobic zone, it's going to look just like a PAO because they both take up the PHB. And so, cause you're, you're storing, uh -huh. you're, you're, you're looking for PHB in the anaerobic zone. Both of them eat up all the food in the house, the in-laws and you, and they store it as PHB in their body. And so you, it's hard to tell if it's a GAO, if it's PAO. So you look at it, look for them in your aerobic zone because the, PAOs will have phosphorus granules in the body and the GAOs won't. They'll look hollow and empty. Ah, okay. Yeah. So that actually, think, actually but, makes a lot more sense. <laughs> right. And if you think about it, it, one good way to do it is to look at that ratio of, of PHB to poly P. So you look at those numbers and you view, we kind of do a, a count. We kind of just make a slide, stain it and scan the slide and just kind of do an area. And if, if you got like this, I've got a really nice microscope that can actually 
capture the area and tell me what the area is. But if you don't, you can have a grid and you can just count how many squares that cluster covers and just do that on your whole slide. If you've got, say, for instance, I have 100,000 cubic microns of, of PLs of poly P and I only have very little poly P, then if I got a lot of PHB and no poly P. That means there's something else in my anaerobic zone that's taking up poly, that's taking up PHB or that's taking up the BFAs. And so it should be almost like a one-to-one ratio unless okay. there's something else competing for the BFAs. I'm going to actually add that What's to my that notes. Case? Yeah. Yep. I'm learning yeah. <laughs> as we go. So is this easy to convert to? I mean, can people retrovert or uh, retrofit their systems to do this? Or does uh, it really need to be designed? Well, you know, have- even when it's designed, I've seen systems that's designed for it. You know, you, there's so, so much you can, that the operator can actually control. You can't control what's coming in that affects your plant. But um, you can, re- the, plant that, the plant that I was working with in Chicago they retrofitted, they turned the air down uh, in the mixing channel. They turned the air down in the, in the return channel to create an end, like the first pass of the aerobic zone, all with no air to try to create an anaerobic zone. And then maybe the second through the fourth pass was all air. So you can do that, but you have to keep in mind that there's, if you don't have a baffle, that there's that fuzzy zone between the anaerobic zone and the aerobic zone where there's going to be some mixture of oxygen and it's going to be low DO and you can actually get some other issues with some filamentous bacteria. So you can, you uh-huh. can, if, if you're going to do it without baffling, then you need to make sure you have sufficient area uh, of aero- of the aerobic zone for that. So I, I think it's kind of like three to one. So you want to make sure you have a sufficient area of uh, aerobic zone. You brought filamentous bacteria, and I'm glad you did, because a lot of operators, you know, come on the site and they're like, "Oh yeah, you know, we just finished chlorinating for three days." I'm like, <laughs> "Chlorinating what?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, we just put it in our RAS and we, you know, knock it down. I'm like, "Oh, that just breaks them into little pieces that grow." <laughs> How do the filaments impact the system? Well, we had we had uh, one of one of our plants didn't have enough carbon, a source of carbon coming in, enough organics coming in to actually do BioP. So we did a, a, a pilot where we ran a, one battery as a control and one battery as a test battery. We, we, got a, a, we bought a product, a, a carbon product. It was like a pure carbon product. We added it to the test battery and we didn't add it to the control battery. And so uh-huh. and we monitored the, the PAOs. And the battery that we, where they added the carbon, the, the PAOs increased significantly. And then once they stopped, it dropped. But what also increased was the filamentous bacteria. And the reason why the reason why filaments can be a problem in BioP system is, is because the filament type O21N, thyrotrix, uh, Begiator, those microorganisms thrive in organic acids and organic acids are produced in anaerobic under anaerobic conditions. So they thrive in that little fuzzy area right before you go from anaerobic to aerobic. So they, 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 that's their, that's their environment. So they like that. Um, also people, there's like this ratio of, of BOD to phosphorus. You need about 20 
milligrams of phosphorus of, of BOD for every uh, a milligram of phosphorus removed. But too much people the, having more is not necessarily better. If you got too much carbon for the phosphorus, then you have that, and you got that fuzzy zone. Then that's just ideal for filamentous bacteria. People are going to find that people with BioP system, you'll probably see an increase in filament type O21N or thyrotrips in your system. And so as okay. operators, we've got a choice. You know, what do you, you know, what are you going to do? you got to remove the nitrogen. So I think gone is the day of having a nice, pretty plant with no bulking because it's just, um, there's competing conditions. In order to, to remove the phosphorus, you got to create an environment that filaments like. Yeah, dinged if you do and dinged if you don't. And yep. really danged, danged yep. if you missed your permit. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, so that's the, that's, the, that's the goal to get that permit. So your plant might not be pretty, but you get your numbers right. I visited uh, one facility in uh, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And the, the guy, I mean, they had so much filament, it was unreal. He couldn't even turn his aerators off without the filaments going up and over mm. the uh, basin. And, but his numbers came out really great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. his boss is like, just keep working, just keep it's doing it, it that way. It's what you do. It's just not. It might not be pretty. You know, we we used to take pride, and then we come in there and our water be pristine and shiny and, and clean, and and the, the and the governors come and say we can drink it in a cup, and um, but <laughs> you can't do that too much anymore because we got all these things, and that's why I say you know it, we used to be able to just turn some valves and stuff, but now it takes so much more skill and so much more. Uh, knowledge for our operators to kind of to run these plants because we got all these different conditions that we got to change and manipulate and control and my hat's off to you is that why you retired then so you worked uh <laughs> making those choices every day <laughs> well I, uh, yeah i retired so that now i, I have my, my own consulting firm called wastewater microbiology solutions and so now i just go and just be the bug doctor so I didn't get to be a, a people doctor. I, I changed my mind because I didn't like seeing sick people. But now <laughs> I'm a, <laughs> a poop eating bug doctor. So, uh, so I just I just go out and when people call me and tell me their bugs are sick, then I go and make them feel better. That's just awesome. So now I can do that on my own. Time. I, I don't know if I can ever retire. You said you did what? Uh, six 1,000 piece puzzles in the first six days oh of my, retirement? Oh, my God. I, I put together three. 1,000 piece puzzles in one week when I first retired. Oh, okay. I, so I exaggerated. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, I had to have something to do with my brain. So I just decided I'll just go and take on a couple of clients and go do what I love doing is look at bugs. And then people still send me samples. And so I get samples and get two microscopes here in Chicago and I have a microscope in West Palm Beach and the samples come and, and I can look at all my babies. And, Stay in, awesome. stay, stay in touch with the, the bugs. I think that's one of the things about wastewater is that when you get in it, mm -hmm. there's so much to see, so much to mm -hmm. learn. Mm -hmm. You know, it's mm -hmm. just an ever-changing environment, like you said. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I, when I came into the business with Probiotic Solutions, you know, they, everything was done by a handshake and now everything is done by data. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very driven by data because mm -hmm. like you said, You've mm -hmm. got all these competing issues that you're constantly trying to balance within mm -hmm. your system. It is amazing that we get clean water every day. <laughs> uh, that's what I tell you. You got you to pay attention to these bugs. You know, you can't, you can't just ignore them, especially not now with, with all the different 
eating regulations. No, you you get problems if you if you don't have enough nutrients for the microbes to do the work. So you get a you have a problem if you have too many going out in the effluent. So you got to add them and then take them away. And so it's uh takes some skill. Yeah, but uh, that's what makes it the art of wastewater, though, right? Yeah, or yep. water treatment. Well, I, I think we're going to segue now into the Wanda's water tidbit, but I, I love what you've, what you've talked about with the, this tidbit. So my mom over the years has sent me articles and notes and things about water that she would ask me questions on. Sometimes it was the most bizarre stuff. I'm like, I, I don't know, mom, I'll, I'll find <laughs> out. <laughs> and, uh, you know, sometimes there's just really brilliant things in, in waste or in water and wastewater. Mm -hmm. When I was in high school, Every book I read, I try to glean one bit of knowledge from, something to take with me from the books, which probably made my teachers very proud. But uh, I was in my high school biology class, and I came across this two-word sentence in my book, and it said, ice floats. Hmm. And I'm like, well, duh, it does it on my glass every night. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. Of course it does. And I really didn't think too much about it other than that was like just the really weirdest thing I'd ever heard anyone actually state. It was so obvious to me. You know, it wasn't until later, you know, when someone asked me, well, why does it float? I was like, oh, crap, now I got to figure this out. <laughs> it's, it's really kind of fun. Uh, we, we're going to have a link to a TED lesson on it uh, that you'll see in the uh, below the podcast on the on the site website. But basically, water has a lot of kinetic energy. And then as it starts cooling, it loses that uh, kinetic energy and starts forming more permanent bonds. And my kids like to say it stiffens the water. <laughs> I know that's totally a technical term, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but what's really cool is that the molecules, they start building these hexagonal bonds. It's kind of like looking at a honeycomb. Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's all empty on the inside, so it's got space. So it expands, therefore it actually floats, which is completely different than a lot of the other chemicals on the periodic table. You know, their frozoforms are more dense and therefore they, they drop mm -hmm. while waters floats. You know, if, if they didn't, occur, you know, never mind, I, my Kool-Aid would never have ice, you know, floating in it, but wouldn't have ice fishing, uh, wouldn't have, you know, ice skating. I, yeah, <laughs> ice skating, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, no one's going to mm -hmm. want to skate on the ice down at the bottom of the pond. But something someone had mentioned was that if, if the ice didn't float, it would crush everything below it. Mm -hmm. And I only slightly remember that that uh, from our, my biology teacher, him saying that. But I was like, oh, okay, so that now, now it's important you know, that mm -hmm. we don't crush everything. And then they talk about how ice is a great insulator. And if you've ever been in the lake and you've poked a hole in it and jumped inside it does not feel like an ice uh insulator <laughs> at all. A, i don't even i don't go on frozen lakes oh really <laughs> no well i used to live in finland and they would you know check the ice and then drive and spin the cars on the ice yeah um, i know they do it but i just can't make myself do it yeah <laughs> i have trust issues too <laughs> but i i have done the jumping into the the pool of water and i'm like i don't know how this is an insulator but it's enough that it preserves the aquatic life. Mm. And what's really cool about it is that when it gets warm, it absorbs the heat 
and melt slowly. Because if it was hot and cold, all of a sudden the ice was gone, everything would die. Mm-hmm. You know, just like in our in our wastewater systems, you know, if you go from like 95 one day and then you get a cold spell and it's 68 the next day, it just gives you a lot of problems and heartburn. The, the rapid change in temperature affects the microbes. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, it, it not only uh, affects microbes, but, you know, all aquatic life. Mm-hmm. So it's actually a really good thing that ice floats and... Uh, that, that's kind of my little trivia thing that I, I learned. I never knew that that puzzling question would one day lead to a, a career in water. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you never know what you'll learn that'll uh, help you in your career. But, uh, you know, next time you have a, a glass of Kool-Aid or a soda or something and the ice pops to the top of it, remember it's really good that ice floats. <laughs> Now I'm I'm also curious though you didn't put ice in the the bed sheets did you um for your in laws <laughs> no no I, just, <laughs> no, I right. did I did make it as uncomfortable as possible <laughs> <laughs> I can see I'm sleeping on the lumpy couch uh, the sofa couch <laughs> put something in the food it just didn't quite taste right That's right oh too much salt too much salt oh. all right well. Tony, I'm so grateful that you spent time with me this morning. Um, oh, you're welcome. It was fun. This is always fun. Love talk, always love talking about the books. Excellent. Well, hopefully we'll have more conversations in the future. But uh, thank you for joining us today and you're hope welcome. you have a great day. Okay, you too. Thank you for listening to the Water Break Podcast brought to you by Probiotic Solutions. Probiotic Solutions offers a broad spectrum line of biostimulant nutrient products for bioremediation of water wastewater, and soil. Find more information about our products and the show notes for this podcast at probiotic.com.